0: It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis.
1: And I'm Sky David.
0: August is here.
1: It's your birthday month. Big Leo season. Mm -hmm. If anybody else has an upcoming birthday, I'm sure you too love attention.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know... How boastful and self-centered I was until you and I became friends. And it seems like you send me something about Leo's every day that disparages me.
1: Well, I didn't know how well you fit into stereotypes. But, you know, they're stereotypes for a reason.
0: <laughs> it is my birthday. I turned 52 on Tuesday. What are you going to do? I hope whatever I do, it's at the beach. The General Assembly has given us no... Definite indication as to what they're doing next week. So it might be spending my birthday with you here in Raleigh.
1: I believe that I have spent the last few birthdays with you. Yeah,
0: yeah. This was the year, though, that we were supposed to get out by June 30th. Did not happen. My wife scheduled this vacation for next week. It was supposed to be a, you know, work-free week. And I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. uh, I don't know what I'm doing for my birthday yet. Uh, Hopefully it's surfing, maybe playing golf, maybe doing nothing. But anyway, we'll see. Let's talk about...
1: I love that you played golf one time this summer and now you're a big golf player. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Rory. I didn't know. It was so important to you to play golf.
0: Here's the thing. I don't pretend to be a golf player. All I say is I I do... I think it's just golfer. I love... (laughs) I do... (laughs) Like playing golf, I'm just not good. I played last week, I scored 103, felt really good about that. Yikes. Yeah, had one birdie, two birdies, I don't know. I'm one of those guys that never hits par. I might get a birdie, I might get a double bogey, but I'm never going to get par. That's how inconsistent I am. But anyway, we'll see.
1: Back to the reason for this podcast.
0: (laughs) Back to the reason, (laughs) Yes, Some things are happening in NC world.
1: So this week we heard there has been budget progress. Yay! Yeah,
0: yeah, that is, that's exciting. Wait, when did that news come out? Did it Monday? Come out, came out Monday. Mm-hmm. So the podcast had dropped last Thursday afternoon. By the way, we're recording this on Wednesday this week. We'll get to the reasons why a little later in the podcast. But uh, yeah, we got news this week that some budget. Deals had been made. You know, they were very much in disagreement over the tax package and what that looked like. A lot of disagreement over the NC Innovation Fund. A lot of disagreement on casinos. But it seems as if they've knocked out at least two of those issues, taxes being the first and foremost issue.
1: Speaker Moore spoke to the press on Monday and he didn't say exactly what the details were on the tax changes, but he got the triggers that the House wanted. And then on NC Innovation, we've heard a lot about this project and they wanted $1.4 billion Mm -hmm. and they settled on a number that's lower than that.
0: They won't tell us the number. We just know it's going to come in considerably (laughs) 1.39999 back to those triggers. So where they were, the Senate really wanted to do this bold tax package, expedite the tax cuts. The house was concerned. What if we don't have the revenue to keep state government going? Uh, let's put in some triggers. So if we hit this mark, we can lower taxes, hit that mark, we can lower taxes. So it sounds like that was a legit compromise. The third issue that seems to not have finality is the casino issue. We talked about this in a past podcast. We're looking at about four brick-and-mortar casinos throughout the state, Anson County, Rockingham County, Nash County, and down in the Robinson County area. As of this week, we were told that casinos are not in the budget, but it doesn't mean they won't be in the budget. What we 've heard is the leadership needs to have conversations with their caucuses that what does this look like a casino package in the budget, are you going to allow for referendum? We will see. we'll put we're putting a pin in casinos
1: the other portion of the budget that they have not come to an agreement on is about those capital projects, economic development stuff. And so some of those are requests from legislators.
0: We heard from legislative leaders this week that we are expected to see a budget possibly the week of August 14th, maybe the week of August 21st. But that remains to be seen about where we are on some of these issues that are still outstanding. We've been told that the General Assembly, after they pass a budget, they may take a break. We don't know if that means they're going to release some of the bills that will come out of the budget negotiations, kind of get some things through committee, finalize, shut down, uh, or are they just going to do a budget, go home for a little while? I don't know. We do know this, that this fall, They need to redraw these districts because you're going to have candidates making decisions around the holidays. They need to have the districts done, reviewed by the feds, maybe even take care of some court cases. We'll see about that. But we know the timeline is getting more compact as we move along this summer into the fall.
1: Also on Monday, we got some campaign fundraising numbers.
0: Not a lot of news here except to say GOP frontrunner Mark Robinson raised a lot of money. Democratic frontrunner for governor Josh Stein, he raised a lot of money. From there, it gets down to some of those council of state races. Uh, Not a lot of money raised in those races. Yeah, not a lot of surprises here, right, Sky?
1: No, but there has already been $9 million raised for governor. That's quite a lot of money when you're looking at a governor race that is not happening for another, what, 16 months?
0: Yeah, and you think that's a lot of money? That doesn't even count all of the dark money that is going to be spent in this race in 2024. There really is no other race in the country that ranks higher than North Carolina for either Democrats or Republicans. Republicans see this as an opportunity to pick up an open seat. Democrats see this as one of the last bastions of the South that they can hold. So uh, just buckle up, folks.
1: Speaking of that, on Tuesday, there was a Vanity Fair article that came out about the governor's race here in North Carolina. And it kind of delved into that argument you've heard for however many cycles now of whether we are a purple state or we're a pinkish state or, you know, we're a red state.
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of it has to do with the kind of candidates, Democrats especially, and Republicans for that matter. Republicans haven't put up the strongest candidates for governor and Democrats have seemed to have found this oddity over the years in putting up candidates for governor. And I think you and I, well, you and I laughed at this yesterday. We were reading the article. Republican operative Jonathan Feltz seemed to have nailed how Democrats have just put up the right candidate to win statewide.
1: The quote from the article says, quote, as for Cooper's victory, Feltz now a senior advisor to Senator Ted Budd, argues that the governor might as well have been made in a petri dish to be a Democratic governor of a moderate moderate southern state.
0: Yeah. All right, we had some interesting endorsement news this week. And, you know, usually I don't pay attention to endorsements because usually endorsements work like this. Uh, The front runner gets the endorsement of someone from their own political party or they get an endorsement from a ideological-leaning organization that's in line with them. And I've said it in the past, endorsements matter when folks get out of their comfort zone and endorse somebody, and it makes news. Well, this week, we got an endorsement at the Department of Labor commissioner race that got a lot of attention.
1: So last week, our current commissioner, Josh Dobson, who's been on the podcast, endorsed current state representative john hardister republican candidate running for the nomination and then this week former labor commissioner sherry barry endorsed his opponent
0: the opponent is republican luke farley now here's why i think this endorsement matters i did not know who Luke Farley was. I didn't even know he was running for Commissioner of Labor until former Commissioner Barry endorsed him. And immediately this hit the media, it hit social media, and it got into the conversation. So, We have competing endorsements for that Department of Labor race. Now, many of us thought that Representative Hardister had a clear path to victory once Representative Ben Moss announced a couple weeks ago he was not running. It doesn't appear like that path is as clear as he initially thought. We're going to continue to watch this race. Should also mention on the other side, Democrat Braxton Winston is running for the Democratic nomination. He is currently on the Charlotte City Council.
1: I should also note that he put out some campaign ads this week that look like it's like the elevator inspection notices that you see in the elevators, and I thought that was very creative.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a down-ballot race. Open seat. Anything could happen. All right, so you know how we said we were recording on Wednesday? Well, we did record on Wednesday, but I am coming on to the podcast on Thursday afternoon, because we had some news break this morning. I was editing the podcast, about to upload it. We decided that we needed to share this news on the podcast before we upload it. Two things. One, it was announced today that the House is not going to come into session next week to vote on veto overrides. They're going to come in the week of August 14th. The second news is Congressman Dan Bishop. Republican. He announced this morning on a radio show that he is running for Attorney General of North Carolina in that Republican primary. We've talked about this on the podcast as an unsubstantiated rumor that Dan Bishop was considering the AG race. It looks like he is in. So that field is just got a little more crowded. We've been talking a lot about former Representative Tom Murray. He's in the race. He's been going around to counties meeting with voters. But uh, this is a developing story and we wanted to share it before we got to the interview. So here's Sky introducing our guest this week.
1: This week we're continuing to work our way through the Capitol Press Corps And we talked to NC Health News' Rose Hoban about her life and her organization. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association.
0: Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina.
1: Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Rose Hoban, editor, founder of North Carolina Health News, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Skye.
1: Start us off by telling us about your job. And I should say, before we started, I asked you, what is your title? And you listed off like 10 things. So tell
2: us what your
1: job entails.
2: Okay, so my job entails, I uh, yeah, I founded North Carolina Health News in uh, 2011, we launched in 2012. I am the editor. I have uh, been the legislative uh, reporter um, since the beginning. And um, I'm also uh, the bookkeeper, um, the manager, the administrator, <laughs> the, mm. as I say, chief cook and bottle washer, um, because I kind of do everything at uh, fundraiser. So I, I do a lot. I wear a lot of hats. I wear way too many hats and um, I work way too many hours and many more hours than people see at the legislature, for example,
0: And you manage a team of reporters as well?
2: We have three full-time reporters, people covering rural health and Medicaid. That's Jamie Baxley. He just came on board. Um, Someone covering environmental health, and that's Will Atwater. And uh, Rachel Crumpler is a Report for America core member who covers gender health and prison health. And then we have a handful of freelancers. So Taylor Knopf um, writes our mental health stuff. Anne Blythe is kind of our Annie on the spot. She does a little bit of general assignment. Uh, she writes all of our oral health. We have a small grant for that. Then we have Tommy Goldsmith, who covers aging, and Jen Fernandez, um, who covers children's health, and then some you know, people who drift in and out. But uh, those are really the core team.
0: And so all of these reporters are contributing to NC Health News, and that can be read where?
2: Anywhere online, Um, you can find it at www.nchealthnews.org, or you can say North Carolina Health News. Um, So we're online, but the other thing that we made a strategic decision in 2019 to make all of our content freely available to anybody, So, and we track it, um, and I'm constantly hectoring members of the team, like put that, you know, oh, you got a link, someone else ran it, the, you know, City View Today in Fayetteville ran it, or the Greensboro News and Record ran it, like, put it into our impact file, and so we were able to track that we had something like 132 publications who used our content in 2022.
0: Okay, and so it's showing up in print newspapers Oh yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, all yeah.
2: the time, like, yeah. it, you know, like, I'll get, like, a you know, an email, someone saying, like, oh, hey, you were on the front page of the News and Record, and I'm like, hey, that's great, you yeah. know. So, and that's the idea. The idea was to get more health reporting out there. For a while, uh, we were it. I mean, I guess origin story, mm-hmm. right? Like, is there some X-Men type of music, Marvel music? <laughs> bum, bum, bum. We'll bum. put it in in post-production. Right, or, origin story. Um, I was at WUNC, North Carolina Public Radio. I'd been there for about six years uh, and um, got offered this like killer job in California and I had just gotten married and um my husband was like ah, and he makes more he makes more than i do so you know that kind of decides things he he really couldn't leave north carolina so i was like well you know i really want to do something different and we thought about it for a while and i talked to a professional friend of mine who had started georgia health news oh. and um when i would go to the association of healthcare journalists meeting i would talk to the woman who started health news florida and Carol Lund, who started the Lund Report in Oregon, and got them, got thinking, and so I thought about, what about North Carolina Health News? So, you know, a little bit of time passed, and um, I decided, I said to my husband, okay, all right, I'm passing up this really killer job in California, so, like, you're gonna pay.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what year are we talking about, Russ?
2: That was early 2011. Okay. Um, launched in uh, January 2012. I need to sort of set a little bit of the scene. Part of Why I did this was that I always joke that when I moved to North Carolina in January 2005 to come to WNC, there were five people covering health care just at the uh-huh. NNO <laughs> and then like two people at the Charlotte Observer. And uh, when I did my um, market research before launching, I, I called around to a bunch of papers and was like, hey, when, you know, do you have a health reporter? Oh, we haven't had one since 2000, whatever. Right. And so determined that there were probably 15, 16 people who covered healthcare care around the state um, in like the year 2000. And by the time... I launched in 2012, there were maybe two or three, and I was one of them. It just grew from there. And I kept saying, this year's the year, <laughs> this year's the year, we're gonna like you know make enough revenue that I can pay myself, and uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that didn't happen for a while. I remember I had a, a conversation in 2012 with a guy from the KP Reynolds Trust. He was their old uh, program officer for healthcare. We went to lunch here in Raleigh, and he uh, says to me, well, we'd like to fund you, and I was like, and I was like, oh great. And I go into the bathroom and I was like, Yes, oh my God. Oh that's so awesome. <laughs> and I come back out and I'm like, okay, well that's great. You know, and he said, We're just not sure when. Aye. They came on board and and it you know, foundations move in their own time and they came on board in twenty fifteen and you know, and then since then I we've had other other foundations and What's, you know, people keep talking about the Knight Foundation and, you know, all these, uh, the, uh, the MacArthur Foundation. We have never gotten national money. It's all been state money. Mm. Um, so it's all been state-based foundations that have supported us. And, you know, I, I mean, I have some friends like my old, my old journalism school dean in California gives us a, hundred, couple, a couple hundred bucks a year, right? Yeah. But for, my, for the most part, the, our money comes from within the state. And I think it's because people recognize that this is a really important topic that needs to get covered.
0: Are you corporately organized as a nonprofit? Correct. A five hundred one c three. Correct. Wow. So tax deductible yep. donations. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, we did that. Was, and you know, it was really. Um, I had no clue what I was doing. Right. So um, my friend Andy in Georgia and and Carol in uh, in in Florida they were both nonprofits. So I said, oh yeah, nonprofit, right? And then was like, wait, where the hell do I get revenue. For me, who's my advertiser? Like, you know, I'm based out of Chapel Hill. Statewide, I think it makes more sense to be, I'm sort of making the shape of North Carolina with my hands, Um, it makes more sense for us to be a nonprofit. That way, what we sell is not page views, because we'll never win on page views. What we sell is our mission. So for example, the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians has supported us, And uh, Greg Griggs will tell me, you know, I don't always like what you write, but what you what you do is really important. So we'll support your mission.
1: How do you decide
2: what's the most important story or what stories need to be written? I guess sort of my small metric is how many people is this going to affect? Right. So it's a statewide thing. It's a regional thing. Or is it, a, is it a trend that we see that's emerging, right? Like, huh, hospital closures, huh, what's that about? Like, huh, look at this, this is the second one in a year. What's that about? We're gonna do, here's a study that, and this is a story we did, that um, uh, African American men in Northeastern North Carolina have a higher death rate from prostate cancer than white men, mm. right? It's a large population. And I think a lot of that story choice to sort of get back at your questions, Guy, is driven out of my background in public health. I have a degree in public health. I worked as a nurse for a decade in community settings. I'm always kind of taking that 10,000-foot view of the healthcare system. And so it's trying to see, really think on a population level.
0: Let's transition a little bit more into who you are and your origin
2: story. Oh, Rose. I have a real weird origin story. Uh, right? Like I should have like a a claw instead of a hand, right? Yeah. Like, like like an X man. Yeah.
0: So I'm familiar with your career in public radio. Hearing your voice on this microphone is a reminder of your days back at WUNC. Back when I
2: used to talk one octave lower. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're a celebrated journalist here in North Carolina, won prestigious awards. Uh, you have this public health background as a registered nurse. You make this transition. But help us make sense of your timeline a little bit.
2: Well, I mean, my, my timeline is even weirder. Um, uh, I come from a family of engineers. Uh, my father was a very well-known engineer in, in New York City. And so um, my brother is an engineer. My other brother worked at the Transit Authority. So we really, it's a family of engineers. So I went to Columbia, was at the engineering school back when Columbia College was still single sex. And but the engineering school was co-ed. And after a couple of years in the engineering school, I was like, this is not right for me. And transferred into the college because they had become uh, co-ed you know, during that time. So I was one of the first women to graduate from Columbia College, which is the undergraduate institution of Columbia. And I had always wanted to work for like Peace Corps or something. So I had this uh, engineering background and an architecture degree. So was applying for the Peace Corps and a family friend who is a Jesuit priest, a Catholic priest says to me, well, why not the Jesuit volunteers? And I was like, oh, what's that? And I applied both to Peace Corps and the the Jesuit volunteers. And lo and behold, they both wanted to send me to Micronesia. (laughs) Really? So I ended up at an agriculture and trade school on an island in the middle of the Pacific. It was a working farm. Um, we raised pigs and chickens and grew vegetables. And then I uh, was an instructor in the construction department. So I taught drafting and math and um, led a, a, a construction building crew during the summers. And, um, and I, I did that for two years. And while I was there, the school nurse, a woman named Cindy Skipper, um had had her had been there a year earlier, she and her husband, and they'd had a baby, and she needed help in the infirmary. And uh, so she, you know, asked around to some of the other the volunteers to say, like, hey, And I was like, this like this sounds really cool. So she trained me. so I learned how to do stitches on a turkey leg and um you know, give a basic shot and lance a boil because there were lots of boils there. <laughs> and um in my second year, Cindy's third year, she was pregnant again, and she was like, hell no, I'm not having another baby out here. And so they ended up going back to the States and leaving me and this Micronesian guy that she had also trained as the health assistants in this infirmary, and we were responsible for about 250 students, about 250 staff and their families, and the people in the surrounding villages. It was hairy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There were a number of uh, very bumpy drives uh, into town, and um, there were U.S. Public Health Service people there um, and, you know, in a hospital in town, and I got to be friendly with the U.S. um, Public Health Service folks, and that's where I really got interested in public health. When I spent that third year, I I went to um, work with my family friend who was a a priest in Thailand, and I spent time on the Thai-Cambodian border, And that's where I saw, I met like, you know, doctors without borders, doctors and nurses. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to go back to the States and like go to nursing school. And so um, ended up in one of those um, second degree nursing programs at at the Catholic University of America. Uh, Fifteen months later, I had a BSN and uh, worked for a couple of years in D.C., migrated home to New York, where I was a home health nurse for a number of years, Uh, took a little side road into occupational health for a year and... Home hospice. By then, I'd gotten really interested in this little thing called the internet. What year are we talking about We're here? We're talking late 90s now. Yeah. And uh, my best friend worked for one of the original online web communities. Yeah. And um, I was writing for them. And I was like, huh, you know, I could sort of talk. And I, I would be like taking Mrs. Jones's blood pressure. F- 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 and she'd say, like, you know, I saw an Oprah, this thing about, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I'd be like, ah, oh, Oprah's wrong, right? And I was like, how do, like you, how do you get better health information out there? And it turns out, like, I was onto something because that was around the time that the Association of Healthcare Journalists was formed because other people were seeing that there was not really great information about healthcare out there. So I applied to a bunch of schools that had both uh, schools of, journalism and schools of public health and I got into Berkeley and the day after I got into Berkeley they I got you know I was on the phone with them or actually it was email and it was like you know we've been trying to create a journalism and public health joint program would you come we'll help you out financially and I was like hell yeah but when I was making this arrangement happen I was actually working for Doctors Without Borders I spent a year doing that. It was the thing I had always wanted to do. So I spent a year in Indonesia working, uh, running a medical project for a group of people who had been the victims in an ethnic conflict. And so I came home and within like three weeks I was on Berkeley's campus and was like, whoa, like this is like, wow, like my brain is hurting right now because of the just shift. Mm -hmm. But I had a, I loved Berkeley. I did two master's degrees in three years um, and, um, worked, I pulled nursing shifts every weekend. So I didn't have like a lot of downtime when I was there. I really kind of busted my ass, but, um, I was able to graduate from three years of grad school with no debt, which was huge, Wow, that which is, was huge. Yeah. Cause I had had debt from undergrad and dirt from nursing school. So
0: not an inexpensive school. No,
2: no, no. Yeah. So and a lot to break down <laughs> from yeah, what you just said. You yeah, know, and that's <laughs> the yeah. thing. It's like people are like, "Wait, you have an architecture degree?" And I'm like, "Uh, oh, there's a there's a line, right? If there's <laughs> a through line. It just takes a little bit of time to explain that mm-hmm. through line." Yeah.
0: I mean, do a whole podcast about you. Huh. Whole series. No. <laughs> the life and times of Rose Oban. Hell Hoban. no. Hell no. <laughs>
2: No, as you know from the legislature, I don't like to be kind of out in front. Sure, You know, I just, I, like, I kind of lurk around, I get my quotes, I sit over on the side, I take notes, and then I, you know, go back into the press room and I, you know, write stuff up.
0: Well, connect then for us, how did you get to North Carolina?
2: That yeah, I came for the job. I came, um, so I was at... I was for in, Public Radio. Correct. I, I was in, I was in Berkeley and, you know, I turned... I'm going to reveal my age, but I turned 40 around the time I graduated. People didn't know what to do with this 40 year old nurse who had a public health degree and a journalism degree. Like people couldn't figure it out. It took me, I applied for 43 jobs, 43 journalism jobs before I got the job at WNC. And I'd kind of given up on it. And I was um, planning, I was, you know, doing work with, uh, with people with disabilities in a place called, uh, community uh, resources for independent living because you know california Mm -hmm. is the nexus of the disability rights movement and so a bunch of people emailed me like hey look there's this job in north carolina like this is like written for you and i was like yeah i'm not gonna get it like i've applied for so many damn jobs it's never gonna happen i'm happy here but i applied just for the hell of it didn't hear for months Mm. And then I get a phone call from uh, Brent Wolf, who's uh, the editor there, or now the news director there. And uh, he was like, are you still free? And I was like, well, I might as well interview. And I did a phone interview. And uh, about six weeks later, I hear back from him. He's like, we'd like to fly you out. And I literally said, "Um, are you shitting me? (laughs) 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 And he was, and if you know Brent, he was like, "Um, no, I'm not shitting you. <laughs> and I uh, flew out, and um, American Tobacco, that, that studio, hadn't even been built. They walked me through it. It we was crunching glass underfoot, and they were like, you know, uh, you know Durham is going to be where it's at. And I was like, really? Called my mom, and I was like, Mom, what am I going to do? And my mother was like, Rose, you, you know, you were a born storyteller. Mm-hmm. You went through a lot to do this. Like, you got to at least give it a try. And uh, get a little choked up um, yeah. thinking about that because I lost my mom co- about a year and a half ago. Okay. So, you know, I, I, I decided to make this huge move. And she also, she had an ulterior motive. It was, I'd be on the same damn time zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so it was, uh, it, was, um, it was a big move, though. I came here. I didn't know anybody. I had one friend out in Winston. And it was, it was just, you know, starting from scratch again because I had started from scratch when I went to california it was uh it was a it was a big move so out of all of these
1: jobs that you have had, what would you say was like the defining moment of your career
2: there's so like there were so many things that defined my nursing career like two and a half years spent in an in an inner city emergency department. I'll never learn as much as i did, and it was in d c and it was when the Clintons were in the White House and Hillary was trying to do Hillary Care, and we kept saying we need to bring her down here and so she can see what the hell's happening. The job, the nursing job, I loved most, um, aside from the job with Doctors Without Borders, was um, hospice, home hospice. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really liked um, helping people do this thing that all of us will do and do it well. Um, and you know, helping people to die well is—I feel like it's—it's it's just. Um, it's really, it's kind of awesome. If I went back to nursing, that's where I'd go. I think for North Carolina Health News, the defining moment was in 2013. You might remember that when Governor McCrory came in, they, uh, they were like, Medicaid's broken. And I was like, the same week that Medicaid had gotten awards for being like, we had the slowest year over year growth in cost for Medicaid. And I was like, the cognitive dissonance there was really weird to me. And by then, I had sat in enough um, press conferences, and Beth Wood and McCrory got up, and they talked about this uh, audit, and, you know, McCrory, you know, was like, Medicaid's broken, and their new HHS secretary, Aldana Vosh, was there, and I was like, that something just doesn't square for me. So, I made my first public records request, and um, hit a jackpot when I finally got the the request back in August, or July there was a, a track changes document that had all the strike throughs, mm. where you could see that the new medicaid had carol speckle Spre- um had crossed out things that the department had said and basically inserted language saying like yeah we're yeah we're broken yeah it's it's bad it's all bad right and i was like wow. Uh, you know, cause you usually, you've seen audits, like the departments always come back and they're like, well, this is a mitigating factor. And this, we tried to do this, and this is taking longer. And there was none of that. And so, and it had all been crossed out. And so I wrote a story about how all of, you know this had happened. It ran uh, on October 8th, 2013. I remember cause it was my brother's birthday and uh, it was uh, a day that was J lock was, um, bring in uh, to the onto the carpet because like, you know, that NC Fast mm-hmm. cluster, <laughs> yeah. right? And so they were really calling her on the carpet. They were going to put her feet to the fire. And um, I had, you know, I knew there was going to be a J-Lock story, a J-Lock meeting that day. So I was like, oh, I'll publish this day. I remember, I think it was, uh, somebody said to me, like, I was standing at the back of j behind all the lobbyists and looking at everybody's iPad. And at one point in time, everybody had your story up. And I was like, oh, and that was and then um, uh, um, Martin Nesbitt, like, quote, like, after lunch, he had printed out my story and was quoting from it. And I was like, sitting over in the side, yeah. like, and I was sort of cringing down, like, well, I really don't like being able because <laughs> I hope no one sees me over here. <laughs> um, crashed our server. Oh, wow. Um, we had, like, 50,000 page views that day. Um, I had to call the sir like, a big, hello, Bluehost, ha- um, help, and, like, get the server back up, and that was really, I think, what put us on the map.
0: I told you as uh, we were inviting you to come on to the podcast that – uh, in our conversations with other journalists who we've had on the podcast, many of them have cited you and NC Health News as maybe the answer to the problem that is out there in journalism today. And you kind of alluded to that problem earlier in this conversation when the press room was had more journalists, more specific topical journalists. We'd like you to respond to what these journalists are saying about you, and I want you to put it in the context of, in your publication, you're covering some of the hottest issues facing the General Assembly. I'll list a few: Medicaid expansion,
2: hell yeah,
0: abortion, mm-hmm. transgender medical care,
2: it, and at it all the crossroads are all in healthcare, right? Mental health mm-hmm.
0: reform and mental mm-hmm. health. The work that Senator Bergen is doing in the mm-hmm. Senate. Talk about the state of journalism, public policy. Oh, we didn't even mention healthcare reform and health insurance certificate oh, of yeah. need. Gosh, oh, yeah, we could go. We could make a list. Oh, yeah. yeah
2: the, the list goes on and on. I, yeah. I, I, like I feel like there's. I could have. I could employ like at least two more full full-time reporters. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be an all of the above answer for journalism. Okay. Um, you know, folks like look at me and I, thank, thank, thank you, folks who think that nonprofit journalism is going to be the answer. I don't think it's going to be the answer. I think it's going to be nonprofit journalism, for-profit journalism. There are states that are um, putting out legislation to give tax breaks, like you know, employment tax breaks for journalism organizations. There's going to be a lot of different answers. The thing, though, is that we have to come up with an answer. And this is one of the studies that I cite all the time, and it usually makes people sit up and take notice, is that some economists from the University of Chicago and Notre Dame went out and looked across the country at counties that had lost a publication that covered, you know, city government and all that good stuff, and neighboring counties. So, you know, very much like matched up neighboring counties that still had a publication and found that in those counties that had lost their publication, when they went to do, uh, to borrow money for municipal bonds, they had to pay higher basis points. Hmm. It was higher interest and it translates into higher tax hmm. taxes for those residents there because the ratings agencies and the, um, the, the, bond issuers understand that when there's no one there to bird dog government, things happen. It's, it's scary to watch journalism organizations go away. It, it's going to take a lot. Um, I'm involved in two national organizations. One is Lion Publishers. Um, uh, it's local independent online news publishers. I was a charter member, uh, back in 2012. And, um, I'm on the board, so I've had this national view for years now. We have 450 members or so. We're doing things like teaching people how to run their businesses. Like because there are a lot of people like me who are journalists who get the fact that you know we need this, but who don't know how to run a business. And I've learned how to run a business, so you know Lions got if you're a member, you can get access to you know, how to use Google Analytics for a webinar on basic accounting, you know, a webinar on, like, basic HR skills and management. Um, You should take that. Yeah, I should. (laughs) (laughs) Running a business,
0: I mean, I sympathize. You know, the core work. No one ever told me I had to file all this HR paperwork. HR compliance, right? Yeah, and, HR
2: compliance. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, and, and like I just got back my 990 and had oh, to review yeah. it. And I have a board. So, like, recruit, right. board recruitment, care and feeding of a board, um, you know, like board meetings, taking minutes, right? You know, like wheedling. I'm like, you know, my board chair is finally. Uh, She's like, listen, it's been eight years. It's time for me to step down. So, you know, wheedling somebody to be a new board chair, um, wheedling some, you know, fundraising. Yeah. My God, fundraising. Like, I've learned all this kind of stuff. I've learned how to sell my organization to, you know, funders, both for-profit sponsors, non-profit. Like, you know, it's just, there's so damn much. But people are building it. They're building it. They are, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And we've seen... Even since you've launched, I mean, the Assembly yep. kind of has a similar model. I, I know it's still in its kind of infancy, maybe toddler stage at this point. But collaboration is a big part of their business model. Collaboration
2: is, is, yeah. is a big part of their business model. Yeah. Kyle goes around the state, and he's collaborating with everybody. We collaborated on a, a story this spring. Uh, he's he's taken that collaboration model, and he's run with it. And then there's other people. There's Carolina Public Press. Mm-hmm. City View Today in Fayetteville, they launched as a non-profit, even though I've said to folks down there, like, I think you guys could be fine as a for-profit, right? Like, give the Observer a run for its money and, you know, like, go out and, you know, sell, sell ads, right? Like, it's uh, so, depending on where you are um, at NC, they've managed to raise a lot of money, but, you know, they'll do stuff like profiles of of uh, of, um, of community colleges and uh, so they, they, they play in a slightly different sandbox than what I do. But there's other folks out there. There's, there's folks who are trying things. It's like the thing that's really exciting is the experimentation that's taking place. We all work way too many hours <laughs> as we are experimenting. Right. Um, but, you know, I think there's people who are really dedicated to keeping the citizens of North Carolina informed.
1: We talked a little bit about some of the big issues when you first started. What do you think is a big healthcare issue that's facing North Carolina that is in the
2: future that people maybe aren't thinking about right now? I I think hospital finance is like the next big thing that we need to start digging into more. Um, You know, we've got all this and consolidation. You know, all the data are out there from around the country that when hospitals consolidate, prices go up and uh, worker power decreases and um, we've seen a lot of consolidation in North Carolina. Like it's like, and I, you know, I don't know, it's like maybe 2019 or 2020. I kind of just like stepped back and was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like we really have just these big systems now. And um, we went from having a bunch of little independents and, and, you know, you always hear, and I'm, I'm chipping away at a story and um, this one health economist from South Carolina, Jan Props, she said to me, oh, you always hear about we can uh, save money by combining. And she's like, but that never, that doesn't really happen. We just see prices continuing to climb. So
1: if you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics today, what would it be?
2: Oh, God, I should have known you were going to ask this question. Um I wish healthcare people and science people would talk more to journalists. We need their voices, and we need their expertise in a way that really is data forward, evidence forward, and a little bit less, um, you know, kind of waving a red flag in front of people. Yeah. Um, and, and you know and I'd actually I go around and I do trainings. For healthcare people, on how to talk with reporters, mm. and why you know, okay, if you do some basic due diligence, you don't need to be afraid of reporters, right? And um, and you know, this is this is how to work with us, um, because I really feel like their voices really need to be more in the conversation.
0: Well, Rose Hoban, we appreciate everything you are doing covering healthcare policy at the General Assembly in North Carolina. You certainly know how to do journalism better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so
2: much for having me. This was fun.
0: The Do
1: Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for More
0: information. If you are working on health care policy in the General Assembly, whether you're a legislator or a lobbyist, chances are you have had a conversation with Rose. You can find her outside the Senate caucus room. You can find her outside the House caucus room. Certainly, anytime committees are meeting dealing with health care, she is in the room. But one of the things that I didn't know in talking to Rose over the years is. Such an interesting background, you know, going to a prestigious Ivy League school, uh, making her way to North Carolina, and then not only founding North Carolina Health News, constituting it in a way that I believe, I really do believe that nonprofit journalism is going to be a major lane for journalism to follow in order to survive. We all know that newspapers are going out of business or are shrinking. This, I believe, is a way to sustain journalism over the long haul. Appreciate the way Rose has done this and wish her luck. Thank you, Rose, for coming on to the podcast. Tweet Tweet of of the the week. Week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org.
1: This week's Tweet of the Week is finally from Stephen B. Wiley. <laughs> 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 has been advocating hard for himself to be Tweet of the Week for a long time. So, hello, Stephen, it's you. He is at Stephen B. Wiley on Twitter, and in this tweet, it's a quote of the WRAL article about Josh Stein's campaign getting scammed by someone. They wired somebody the wrong $50,000, They called it a sophisticated scam. So his tweet says, hey, the good news is sophisticated scam is going to be a great fantasy football team name this year. (laughs) It is a good fantasy name.
0: You know, my fantasy football team. From a couple of years ago now, yes, right? A few
1: years back. Yeah, yeah.
0: Fried Squash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we have a. You
1: came in last. Yeah. So. But
0: I got a trophy. <laughs> it's a toilet bolt that is actually in our bathroom here yeah. at the office. Didn't Dean's Eatman win that year?
1: I thought I won. Did I not?
0: I was in a photograph <laughs> with Dean's getting her oh. trophy. So. Mm.
1: Did, Did I win the year before? The one that I got, I won money. Maybe we did. I don't know.
0: But Dean's is in a photo with me. I assume I'm getting last place and he's getting first place. Maybe. We need to get that together. I think I'm going to stick with fried squash Wednesday.
1: Uh Oh, are you? Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Big football guy, big golf player guy.
0: (laughs) You know me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... You are heading out of town to go to a wedding this Mm -hmm. weekend. So that's why we're recording the podcast, by the way, on Wednesday, because you're flying out tomorrow morning.
1: Yeah, my cousin is getting married. I only have two cousins on my mom's side of the family. So we're all pretty close. And so going out to Colorado, I will see my brother for the first time in (laughs) two years. Two years exactly, actually, because my aunt got married two years ago this same weekend. I have to assume that my brother is only attending because he can drive there and there's less carbon footprint doing that.
0: <laughs> is that why he doesn't fly? Because his concerned about the environment?
1: I don't know. It changes. It's hard to keep up. <laughs>
0: Or is this just a rolling excuse not to show up at family events?
1: I don't know, but my parents are going out to Utah to stay with my brother afterwards, so.
0: Okay. Yeah. I feel like your brother's like the Olympics. He comes <laughs> around every four years. Yeah,
1: you have said that before on uh-huh. the podcast. Uh-huh,
0: yeah. How does he do that?
1: He's just smarter than everybody else. <laughs>
0: And then when he does come in, I mean, it's like the Olympic opening ceremony, right? I mean, it is like, God is here. Yeah. And there's a lot of appreciation and fanfare.
1: Yes. I know. I made the argument when we were down at the beach, but, you know, maybe I'm not your favorite child, but you've never had to lock me in the basement (laughs) (laughs) so I don't run wild drunk in the house. And I think that should be celebrated.
0: Uh, Yeah. And you're a regular. (laughs) My mom was like,
1: stop saying that. (laughs) But it is true that they did do that because they just got new carpets and they didn't want to mess up the carpet. One of my favorite stories about my brother is that he loves to like hang out late night with our family. My mom will do that with him. She'll stay up with him. But when I was in college, our cousins lived across the street and Scott and our cousin Ryan were, um, they were up late, Mm. you know partaking in alcohol and my parents like to sleep with the windows open. Wow. So the window was open, and my brother decided to get on the riding lawnmower and ride it down to the cemetery. (laughs) And he was just yelling while he was doing it. And then my dad went out to the window, and, you know, we've talked a lot about my dad on the podcast. Philip, yeah. So he goes out to the window and yells, Scott, shut the F up. (laughs) And my brother just yells back, no,
0: And this guy is the favorite <laughs> child. So he doesn't like to fly. We don't really know. There's different reasons. But, you know, I have to say, flying can be annoying.
1: Okay. I love flying. Everybody who knows me knows if it's, pa- if it's further than four hours, put me on a plane. Hmm. I have no qualms about flying.
0: Okay. However. You don't like flying with people.
1: We've talked about this a little bit before. Why can't we all agree, one, we live in a society, let's act like it when we're on planes. What, what happens at airports that people go, like, they're not well?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. Let me start with one of the things that I love about you and flying. Okay. And this is one of the things I love about being your friend. Okay. You have never asked for a ride to the airport. <laughs> You've never asked me to come pick you up at the airport. You understand that there is a technology out there called Uber, and it is just as easy for Uber to come pick you up, and I really admire that.
1: Well, I hate asking people to do favors for me, so that would never be me.
0: Yeah, Number one pet peeve, we know what it is with you, and that is people standing up in the airplane to depart. You want those people to go to jail, right?
1: Yes. I don't understand. We need to load back to front and unload front to back. It's simple.
0: I want to stab somebody if they get on a plane. Stab, okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) they get on a plane without something to read and then want to have a conversation with me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's me on every flight. When somebody looks at me, and I have my AirPods in and something out, and I can tell they want to talk, you mm-hmm. know? And so I'll try to not make eye contact.
0: Definitely. You can't even say hello to those people. <laughs> no. If you say, how are you doing? It opens up the floodgates of conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I did meet that one old man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you met a lot of old men. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, is like... That one old man, I mean, don't old men cross airports to, to to come talk to you? What? I mean, yeah, old men do that. I mean, didn't one man get out of a wheelchair to come talk to you? <laughs> like, I mean, you're like, la- you're raising Lazarus here. You healed the sick, the, inf- the infirm. They get out of wheelchairs.
1: I met this man named Edward who I was on a 45 minute flight to Baltimore and he was reading a book about Alzheimer's because his wife recently had Alzheimer's. So he was telling me that he was learning about it so he could better help her. And I just think often about him.
0: But at least he had a book.
1: He had a book. Yeah.
0: If you have a book, I will talk to you. But if you do not have a book or Pick up a magazine. Go get a magazine.
1: People that stare directly just into the back seat, the headrest of the seat in front of them. What's wrong with this? They people? must be psycho. I, I don't know. Like, you must be mentally unwell. You're just going to sit there for hours and mm-hmm. do nothing. Not listen to anything. Not read anything. Not watch TV. You're just sitting. Yeah. I can't be alone with my thoughts that long. <laughs>
0: Oh, that gives me anxiety. That would send me into a distress.
1: You don't fly that often, though, do you?
0: Not really. But when I do, you best bet I've got enough to read. I've got entertainment. I'm going to not engage people around me, unless they have entertainment, I might say, Hey, what are you reading? Something like that. But I'm not going to sit. I'm not talking to you if you don't have anything, because I'm not going to be your entertainment for four hours.
1: I thought you were going to say the thing that you liked about me was that I'm the organizer.
0: (laughs) Very organized. Yeah, you have us when we're getting where we're going, what we're doing. I I do appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. So a cousin is getting married.
1: Yes. Yeah, my cousin Mercedes
0: and you're staying through the weekend?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll be back Sunday.
0: Any other things besides wedding? Or is this one of those weddings that's just going to take up the whole weekend?
1: I don't know. I asked my mom about what I needed to pack, but it's unclear, really. Okay. Well, her fiancé's birthday is Thursday. So there's an event Thursday for his birthday. And I think it's just like a pub crawl or something, which is my nightmare, I told you. (laughs) I thought about it. I'm like, ah, there's something we have to do Thursday night. They're on a two-hour time difference, so I'm going to get there. I'm going to be kind of tired, and then I'm going to have to go out at night. I don't want to do that. And then I'm going to be relying on everyone else to be ready to go back to the Airbnb. We're staying with my parents and brother and sister-in-law on Thursday, only that night. Are we staying in Airbnb? Anyway, I'm going to be relying on them to have to go back. So that's going to be like, you know, let's say midnight their time. That's 2 a.m. North Carolina time. And that's too late for me. And then that's going to ruin my wake schedule. And then I'm going to be off schedule for the entire weekend. And it just, it stresses me out. to think about.
0: I can see that.
1: I like to have control over my routines. Mm-hmm.
0: Life as an 82 year old, I get it. <laughs> Well, I wish you well Uh, with your travels, your sleep. I hope you get some reading done on the plane. hope Mm -hmm. you sit beside someone who does bring a book.
1: (laughs) Well, next week we will talk to you about whether or not the house does some veto overrides. In the meantime, tell us, what are your pet peeves while traveling? Let us know. We want to hear from y'all. And... Have a great weekend, a good start to August, and please remember to do politics better.